episode of the Hero Ball Podcast. I'm Richard Davidson, and I am joined by my good buddies, Alka Beltra and Ethan Huffman. Both yes. of you guys are here. Yes, sir. We are, we are ready. We are ready. We've missed last week. Couldn't make it happen. You know, schedules didn't overlap. All, all that stuff. I'm happy to be back. I, I was unable to make it to the last time you guys potted. Uh, I was I was in Phoenix visiting some family, watching as uh, Devin Booker just gave bucket after bucket. Frank Kaminsky as he gave mm. bucket after bucket Frank to the, the Atlanta Hawks. And uh, I'm just I'm just happy to be here with you guys. How are you guys doing? Doing good. By the way, I didn't mention to you, Richard. After you sent the whole thing, you're in Phoenix watching a game. Literally before you said anything about Frank Kaminsky. My brain works in weird ways. That night, I had a dream that Frank Mason was playing basketball. It was back at Wisconsin, though, and he took over. So the next thing I know, you wake up. I wake up and see that message about Frank Mason taking over. I'm like, bam, I'm a prophet. That's how it happened. That is exactly how it went. I, I, I cannot, I cannot argue otherwise. But and, and then now, as a general manager for the Pacers, I'll trade you some bonus for Frank Mason straight up. <laughs> there we go. That is your last. Uh, that would that would be your last. Um, <laughs> uh, decision as the GM of the Indiana Pacers. But we are here today to talk some basketball. And I mean, I kind of know where I want to go, at least to start here. And I feel like it's the story of this. I don't know. Maybe there's a few, probably a few storylines this season, but I feel like one of the main storylines this season is basketball being back in Chicago, right? Mm-hmm. Mm, yes, definitely. Which, by the way, uh, I might get clown. I need to get clown for when I said when we were talking about previews over under for Bulls and Pacers were the same, and I was like, psh, psh, come on, that's disrespectful to the Pacers. Now I see that it's disrespectful to the Bulls. That's really what happened. Like it was weird, you know, when when we did that. Um, you know, we were like, ah, yeah, should should we, you know. They they have the same over unders like it's like the I think I I know I was saying I think the Bulls will be better but it wasn't like it wasn't like this I didn't see this uh, I thought that they would have you know that that gravity kind of pulling them toward getting more wins where I think the Pacers you know you could you could see hey new coach maybe he doesn't like some of the roster maybe you'd make a trade and it pulls you down I don't but I didn't see them being like the third team in the East right. We didn't see this. No, I certainly did not. I and I'm someone who was like pretty high on the Bulls of in recent memory because I'm I'm someone who loves 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 some Zach Levine, but I I still just thought the defense wouldn't wouldn't be able to hold up even with the acquisition of Lonzo Ball and Caruso. I looked at the acquisition of DeRozan, him being a, a negative defender. I didn't look at. Uh, signings like Javante Green and Derrick Jones Jr. mattering at all. I'm not going to say they have, but I looked at also Vooch and the lack of a backup center, and it's like, yeah, there's no way these guys can keep people out of the off the rim. And I guess that's kind of like where the conversation is going to pin today is the Bulls have had a pretty solid defense this year. And it's kind of interesting to see like what what contributing factors are going into that when you look at their personnel, and it really only looks like Especially with Patrick Williams out as well, only a couple, only a couple positive defenders. Yeah, I mean, we when they made the trade to get Derek Jones Jr. in and you know, marketing and sending him to the Cavs, like we were like, oh man, you know, they missed an opportunity to uh, bring in Larry Nance, and I still feel that way. I feel like that would be super helpful at a time, especially like this, where where 
you know, if they knew Patrick Williams was, was going to be lost for basically the season, like they, they would probably watch, they would like that, you know, a mulligan on that one. But, you know, like you said, we looked and we saw the vision on offense. Like, oh, okay, well, this makes sense. You know, having DeRozan, Levine, Lonzo, you know, those guys, Vooch, like it looked like it would have made sense. But the questions that we had were on the defensive end. How would they be able to do this? And in recent years, I don't know if it would have, I don't think that they would have been able to see much success. But the rule changes happen. And this was one thing that was on my mind before the start of the season. I didn't really have an answer. I was, you know, whenever there are rule changes, you know, there are unintended consequences and it leads to the way that you build out a roster. It, it, it leads to certain things becoming more valuable than others. And with this, you know, I, one thing that I noticed, okay, yeah, on the offensive end, these rule changes would, would hurt players like, you know, James Harden, Trey Young, the guys who this rule was made, was made after. But I didn't, I, I was wondering why on the defensive end, who is this helping out most? And you could probably say, okay, well, you know, the aggressive, like Drew Holiday types, right? If you can get up in someone's, uh, you know, grill and like, if you're fighting over a screen, um, perhaps, you know, that could be helpful. I, I, I asked this question uh, in uh, the Danny LaRue and Nate, Nate Duncan, like Discord or whatever. And and Danny, like he, he, he got the question. He's like, I think that it helps out defenses that do more of a hedge and recover type thing where you're still trying to stay attached uh, with your matchups, not switch it. But, you know, you're fighting over the big and kind of, you know, stay, stay with the ball handler for a step or two. And then that uh, that guy chasing over the screen can get back to his matchup. That's probably who this helps more because that guy feels it's not like he's going to run to the back of, of this guy and then the guy jumps backward and then and then, you know, you're foul and we're getting to the free throw line and so that was when I asked that question um a couple weeks into the season to Danny he that's what he said and that makes sense to me and I I look at it and it's like well the Bulls went out and I don't know if they had the vision where like okay rule changes are coming let's go out and and get these two Lonzo Ball and and and, uh, Alex Cruz let's go ahead and get these two um you know perimeter guard defenders and rely on that and not worry as much about the backline help, but it appears that's the direction they went to. And right now the bulls are reaping uh, success with a defensive rating of 105.4. Yeah. It's only ninth uh, in the NBA, but this is a huge jump up from wh- where they've been in the past. And, you know, night to night, you can just see bulls defensive highlights coming on your Twitter timeline. And it's awesome to watch. Yeah, that that 105.4 has them ninth in the in the league. The last two years they were 12th and 11th. So like they've had a, a, a decent defensive structure here. But think about the roster turnover that went that went over since the Aturis Carnificus. I can't say his name very well. Um, the new GM, formerly of the Nuggets, uh, as soon as he got over, they've been making a lot of changes. They got Rodney Vucevic. They they got rid of a Gafford, who was like you know more of a traditional like rim rim stopping big. You know they had Daniel Tyson here for a minute. They you know guys who you think of as like oh those guys are you know more of the positive defensive players. Even like when you go back to a Wendell Carter, everyone thought Wendell Carter was going to be like a defensive Al Horford, and I, he that was his probably best asset. He was a good defender. So they they still made an an improvement on the defensive end while adding, you know, a guy like DeMar DeRozan, who everyone's just been all, you know, 
poo-pooed him forever about how bad he is at defense. So it's just interesting to see it. And that's a, that's a big minute guy. This is, we're not talking about adding a Troy Brown. We're talking about DeMar DeRozan who's playing 30 plus minutes a game. So it's, it's really cool to see that this, this, you know, those two guys, Lonzo and Alex Cruz are making such a big difference at that point of attack defense. Not to mention Vucevic hasn't played for like four, three or four games. And that means you're playing sometimes no center and barring, you know, like I honestly think like uh, um, a Larry Nance kind of explosion there for a little bit. Like they, they, they kind of, I'm not seeing any ill effects of that, that decision. Yeah. I like you look at DeMar DeRozan on the Spurs last year, you know, they had about an average right around the, where the bulls were right. You know, the 112s league average was 112.13 defensive rating last year. Um, and it, with the Spurs, like, okay, well they have Jakob Pertl, who's like your rim defender. And so if, if, DeMar blows things, you know, you and you got the perimeter defenders on the, on the Spurs, but if DeMar blows things, well, you, you've got someone at the rim who can cover. You didn't have that, and you don't have that in Chicago, which is why, you know, going into it, it's like, well, you know, I don't know if the DeMar fits going, going to work necessarily the way that you intended, but it, you just see how the Bulls have been just getting into um, – you know, getting into opponents and making life just miserable for them. It, 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 I want to look at like a broader picture here now, zooming out from the Bulls and looking at the league, right? League average, we said last year, was 112.13 defensive rating. We are now, and of course, we're like 15 to 20 games um, uh, into the season, and we end up having a 107.8 defensive rating, all right? 107.8, and it's, which is ridiculous because the Lakers last year were the number one defensive rating team at 107.1. So league average is basically bumped way up. You can look at past seasons at the defensive rating, um, you know, of, of past seasons, and it, it, it isn't basically since the Warriors came to power that we've had a defensive rating this low uh, on average for uh, for the NBA. And so you do wonder, you do wonder if like the NBA eventually is going to shift uh, to the point where, you know, are, are they going to, are they going to say, wait, we've, we've been a little too stringent with this refing. Should we back it up a little bit? And because I don't think we thought it was going to be like, you know, this physical defensively. Um, I think we just probably thought, hey, you know, James Harden's not going to get his silly fouls. But it, it seems as though they went a little bit further than that. What do you guys think? Well, I do think it's going to scale back a little bit here and there. I think the the biggest thing to point out is that it happens in the NFL, too. When they first make the rule change, they call every single one. And I think, actually, a downside of the rule change so far is while they've allowed a lot more equality in terms of like you know kind of hand fighting and and like not exactly checking but like they've allowed a lot more of that on the perimeter now <clears throat> but instead of like keeping the same energy at the paint they've also increased the threshold at the paint whereas i didn't think they needed to have a you know more open-ended you can hit people when they attack the rim and so i think you know, it's been great that the free throws from like the, the you know, like not Kevin Durant rip threes because that already been legislated out. But like some of the, the BS stuff on the perimeter has been legislated out. They, they also took away some of the like legit contact fouls at the rim in like kind of the, the spirit of 
well, you kind of looked like you might have been just trying to draw a foul, and that, and it, it was still a foul. So, like, I would like to see that kind of scale back to where it's actually just kind of a quality where, you know, the bigs get fouled and the guards get fouled more equally based on, you know, without it just being a small guy, big guy thing. Helicon, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I see where you're coming from on this as far as physicality, and we've seen it uh, happen a lot where – we see some guys, I mean, some teams have been able to adjust. Some teams have not adjusted to the way that their defense is going to be or some guys where their offense is going to be. Like, I personally like it more. Like, I think one thing for me is I always think about flow of the game. Like, what's going on with flow of the game and how these fouls, whereas last year we have had it more slowing down the game. But I think one one indicator that we are getting back, I think last night James Harden was 19 of 20 free throws he shot 20 free throws and i think like i mean we got to go back the other way which is we might have i'm hoping we don't have an overcorrection i don't think they will but i can see i can see the refs kind of realizing because i know the refs review tape just like that just like players coaches everyone else does so i know they're looking at what things do we need to cut back on but i think i do agree with ethan though as far as physicality getting you want to almost like put that line there like you don't want it to be like okay it's like anything goes like you still want to reward players for doing certain things. If a guy draws to, gets to the hoop and gets fouled a certain way or gets fouled like that, like you want to reward that. You don't want to say like, all right, play through it every time. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. Um, and perhaps Harden, Harden's one of the guys who is you know, notorious for reading the rule book, know, reading the rule book, knowing how they're going to defend, how they're going to call things, and then taking advantage of it to, to the level that he, as far as he possibly can. Like he's really smart with that. And so perhaps he's figuring you know, out how to play. I don't know. I didn't watch that game. Um, there are, so there are three teams that I want, well, two teams I wanted to look at, and Ethan added in a, a third one, but that center around the Russell Westbrook, uh, well, two teams center around the Russell Westbrook trade. We already talked about the Bulls, um, but the Lakers, number one last year, defensive rating, 107.1. Now they're 108.9, right? But that's 19th. That's 19th. And, you know, you look at the move that they did, you know, you're still Anthony Davis. You brought in your, you know, you brought back Dwight Howard as, as, as a rim protector, bully guy, and you had DeAndre Jordan. But really, one of the things that we slated uh, Rob Polinka for, the uh, basically at the start, was you have no perimeter defense. How are you going to go about, you know, playing basketball? And, and so now, they, it, it's, it's a big struggle. Yeah, they, they've had some injuries and issues, but, I mean, that's part of the roster construction. Uh, issues of that team the Lakers now have have dropped significantly Ethan the other team that you were curious about were the Washington Wizards talk talk about them well the reason I want to put the Wizards up there is because they basically took um what I would say two of the I mean not counting Anthony Davis and LeBron because we're talking we're not talking about the stars when we're talking about the other good defensive players if you're going to put together the best defensive lineup for the Lakers last year you would include probably Caruso KCP, LeBron, Kuzma, and Anthony Davis. That was probably your best option of stopping the most amount of people. And so three of those, or two of those guys ended up on the Wizards. And I kind of just wanted to look at the transition that the, the Wizards went through defensively as well. Like we see that they went from seven, 19th to 7th. And I, I, I do want to make a, gr- a good point, like in general with these with people, is you, we can look right here with the, the last numbers. Where the, the Denver last year was 12th with 112. Um, point four, and the Wizards were 19th with 113. So I understand that there is like some very small gaps in here with where people end up in the rankings. But point being, 
it's still where they ended up. But the Wizards have made a big jump from 19th to 7th. They're, they're playing good defense, and that's basically just taking in two guys like Kuzma and KCP, who, while they are going to drive the same level of offensive, just they're not the same level of offensive engine as, as Russell Westbrook, they are contributing greatly to the defense. And that's not to mention they also brought in a Spencer Dimwitty, who is, you know, I wouldn't say a perfect defender, but he, at least he tries, and Russell Westbrook does not. I just wanted to point out that there's layers to this Lakers departure that you're seeing the impacts on other teams. Yeah, I agree. And I had Denver in there. Again, Denver, 112th, right? That, that Basically, it hovered right around league average there, um, 112.4. And now they're at 104.4. And again, this is a team that is basically the same as the end of last year, right? Obviously, Jamal Murray's not there. But, you know, you have your Aaron Gordon uh you know but other other than that it's basically the same roster it so you know what's different why 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 the why do they seem to be having success well i think one of the things that's been notable is Jokic has been very very good defensively this year um up from what he's been in in previous years there's a lot of writing out there that's talked about it but i think one of the things that helps is the type of defensive style that the denver plays is like what Danny described, right? Those that kind of hedge and recover uh, system. And if you're able to, if there's a defensive system that is getting benefited the most here, obviously it helps defense all around the NBA. You see league average drops a whole lot. But that style of defense perhaps is benefiting a bit more where, where Jokic is able to uh, protect, cover more ground, and allow for those matchups to, you know, as, as their guards are chasing over screens and getting back into play, perhaps it allows for them to be a little bit more aggressive and them as a system in Denver, they're able to achieve and see more success. So that was just something that I was thinking of in, in, you know, in the first, I don't know, quarter of the season, uh, I really stuck out, stuck out to me. And, and so I was, I was curious about it. Uh, I, was, I wanted to think of one more thing and Elkin, I want to get your opinion on this because you watch this team the most because they are your favorite team. I just wanted to like, I'm trying to pull up the numbers as we go, but like, I'm, sure, I'm thinking about specifically like a T.J. McConnell and, and, and a Brogdon who has been a good defender in the years past. Like, I'm wondering, like, the Pacers are a team that have a guy in DeMont Sabonis and also have a guy in Miles Turner. Miles Turner, one of the best rim protectors in the league, we talk about. And then we look at DeMont Sabonis, who clearly is not, you know, he's, that's not what he does best. Right now, the Pacers are sitting right at 15th in defensive rating. They were 13th last year. Um, I'm not going to spit out the numbers because I'm bad at reading, but I just want to like, what, what are your thoughts here, Elkin, when you're, we're, we're thinking about how should the Pacers go forward with, with their, their current team structure? Looking at a guy like Duarte, I think can be a good defender. Brogdon should be able to be a good defender. Karis LeVert is like, got size, like an effort. I'm just like, do we think the Pacers should look to in, install more of a like guard, ag- aggressive guard defense and just have Sabonis try to, mass like do his best Jokic impression at this stage or do we think it's 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 still like a hey miles turner rim protection's great like i just want to know what where your value is because you're, you're you have a team that specifically has both options available yeah i get exactly what you're saying and looking at this kind of structure they kind of did several times uh the last couple of seasons they tried to go for that type of style like a lot of aggressive guard defending um sometimes they didn't have the right personnel for it and see how they can help out Sabonis like that, but sometimes I see where the games that I watch, 
where Sabonis still struggled with that. Like, I mean, Jokic, he's a guy where I know we tend to think of him offensively, but I feel like defensively, Jokic has never been like horrible, horrible, horrible. Whereas Sabonis is a guy that he's not a horrible defender, but sometimes they've caught him being like a turnstile on defense because sometimes he doesn't know where he is. I mean, he's serviceable there. He's not going to be a slouch all the time. I think the problem is with them that they do rely still a lot on Miles Turner to help on that type of defense. It almost seems like I thought Carlisle was going to do a different type of defensive structure for them, but it kind of seems like a lot of it's the same. And that's why this team is pretty much not taking any steps forward. It's kind of just like, we're just going to throw out the same stuff. I think one of you, I, th- I wonder who, I think one of you guys brought up that like normally a new coach, you might get a trade or something in there. I think it might've been pre-pop, but that hasn't happened or anything. And it kind of seems like they're doing a lot of the same schemes with this team. I don't know if it's because of personnel or not, but that's where I, that's where I look at it. And I personally think that it hasn't been working what they've been doing and they should go to a different type of model. And that's why for me, Ethan, your question is a good one where at this point where they're at, should they look at a different model and how they have their defensive schemes and what personnel they're running out there with a Sabonis? Cause Sabonis is your all-star guy. I mean, I know Brogdon has approached like all-star player caliber, but Sabonis is supposed to be your best player, if not one of your top two. And, you need him on there for a lot, and it doesn't seem like you're able to. And I wonder if some of the Sabonis' defensive struggles are even, like, they're more obvious because he does swap between that center and power forward position. Like, he does have to work on different assignments. And whereas Miles Turner is kind of more like, all right, if there's a if there's a pretty mobile big guy, maybe he's the one who goes out and, like, hangs out. But, like, then it's kind of like, you know, a one-on-one thing. But then the rest of the time, he's rim protecting. I wonder if Sabonis having his role clarified a little bit more by like a Turner exit would be really helpful for him. It's hard. It's hard to say because we don't have, we don't have really a template for how this goes in modern basketball. We could go back, you know, years ago and like, even think about like a, like it wouldn't be this good because those guys are both, you know, hall of fame, a hall of famer and a borderline, but we're talking about like a Rasheed Wallace, highly skilled, you know, versatile offensive big and a rim protector like Ben Wallace, right? Like th- that was an incredible thing. These guys are not that level, but like we've seen that template, just not in modern basketball yet. And I wonder if there's a reason for that. Probably is. Well, guys, I, I've really thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, but it's time to get on to a new one. And uh, what we had planned, I, I want to nix because news, news breaking on the pod. Luke Walton yes. is fired after the um, uh, vomitous uh, output that they had on the floor. Uh, a fan said, this is enough. They threw up last night on the floor, <laughs> and now Luke Walton is gone. Um, guys, this Sacramento Kings uh, team and season, it's, uh, I guess, and, you know, the past few seasons, like, I think it was time. I think it was time Luke Walton was gone. But I, I just, you wonder is, are the Kings going to be able to, you know, finally break through and push through? They have new uh, you know, management and who who kind of stuck with Luke Walton. But if you feel like they got to get this one right, I don't know who they go to. If it's uh, an interim situation throughout the rest of the year, then they find their guy, you know, next year. But where do you go if you're the Kings? Man, it's a tough situation out there because I think, I think the Kings have actually made some steps in the correct direction to getting this roster and getting this team 
moving towards the right direction. Like I think a, D- a Davion Mitchell pick was a pretty good was a, a pretty good pick. Like I think he's a good basketball player. Darren Fox, I, I, I'm a big Darren Fox guy. Hal Burton healed. Um, I say we're just looking duplicative here, right? But there's a lot of like those are good basketball players. Um, and and then you get to then you get to the rest of the problems where it's like Harrison Barnes is good, Rashawn Holmes is good, but you really don't have any other wings or actual depth bigs. So like whoever gets a hold of this roster, you might unfortunately have to part with one of those guards that you really kind of like and you, you think has a lot of potential to re- get a little bit more of a balanced roster. And it, it's it's a hard thing to do when you're trying to balance what level of success is is the correct amount. Like like. Is this a playoff team? I didn't think so, but apparently that's what the ownership thinks, and that, or that's what the GM is expecting. And so they need to be able to, to remove this roster around, give Harrison Barnes, Darren Fox, and Rashawn Holmes like guys that complement their game really well because I think those three guys are very versatile, can play with anybody um, based on their skill sets. And from there, I think you have, you have a base to build, and I, I just – I honestly think a lot of these problems could have been fixed if the Lakers would have went with their version of a trade because then you just would have had a, 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 a Harrison Barnes, you know, doppelganger out there and, and Kyle Kuzma, who if he could take the same career progression as Harrison Barnes, we'd be looking at a really good basketball player here in a short amount of time. Um, but, you know, and the Pacers, the, the Lakers wanted Russell Westbrook. But it's kind of funny how both teams, I think, would be benefiting greatly from that Buddy Heald trade right now. And instead, um, just the one over in Washington got got a nice yeah. little deal. To, just just so that you know, Alvin Gentry is the associate head coach, so it would just make sense if he was named the interim for the rest of the year, and then they figure out figure it out after that. Um, but Elkin, how would you go about approaching this Kings uh, team this this year and beyond? I mean, personally, I was trying to look up a little bit, like okay. The, the Kings, we know about all the stuff. Draft pick that they've had, Marvin Bagley. I know you guys are haters on him, but yeah, I know Marvin Bagley hasn't been that great. I'll admit it. I'll be one of the first to admit it. And But he never wants to go into the game anyways these days, so that's another issue. It just seems like they need to do a top. I, I think it should be a top down. Like, just I haven't seen much to show me that. Besides, I mean, yeah, you got like a Tyrese Halliburton, but you guys are right. This team has pieces that you're like, it's going to be stuck in the same place where it's not even going to be like a in competition for a good draft pick, but not even competition for the playing tournament. It's just going to be, we're always going to be out there. I, I love Darren Fox, but I feel like he'll be a prime candidate for a Ben Simmons trade. Like for me, he's a guy that if you can figure it out, I know the Kings would never do it. I know part of the Sixers probably wouldn't do it, but. Well, Sixers might. I think that would be a decent trade, but I kind of look at these pieces where I'm like, because I, I even remember when they when they re-signed Harrison Barnes or did that whole thing. I'm like, well, here we go again with Harrison Barnes. It just kind of seems like they're just they want to compete, but they don't know how to do it. Like they don't really ever fully tank, but I mean they tried. I think they got the second pick in 2018. That's how they got Bagley, but it just seems like it's the same thing over and over again with them. Yeah, I mean, you look at the guys who are getting minutes this year, and it's Harrison Barnes, Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Buddy Heald, Rashawn Holmes, and Davion Mitchell. Like those, it's a six, basically a six-man rotation with the seventh being Mo Harkless, 
And then after that, it's just it's just a drop off in who gets minutes because their roster is centers and guards and and no no real wings. And so I I just I don't know what like Luke Walton's not been a good coach. Let's just period. But at the same time with this roster, like you're right, um, like they needed to they needed that that trade with the Lakers, but he healed and you would have had you know more lineup flexibility and have been able to try and do more things, but. With this roster, I don't know what you do. Um, you know, you, you do the Ben Simmons trade, like like you said, uh, Elkin, and well, at least you have someone who's of that you know Harrison Barnes size. But you're still not uh, with Alvin Gentry. You know, he's he's an offensive head coach. I, I don't know exactly. I don't know. It it just it seems like the Kings, uh, they they need to change, but their roster like. It seems like they kind of missed the boat last year at the opportunity to move on and, and trade Harrison Barnes. It just seems like a mistake of not knowing who you are and where you're actually at, right? You know, not recognizing we are not a team that can make the playoffs, and we so we should have abandoned ship and kind of like the Orlando Magic last year. Hey, we're not a team that has anything. We can get you know two first round picks for for Vooch, and we can get another first round pick for. Uh, you know, Aaron Gordon, and and let's go ahead and just do the abort reset. But Sacramento's been wanting to make the playoffs for so long, um, you know, to the detriment of any, you know, not, now now they're just we're back in it and uh, delaying the inevitable. Yep, they've done it. They've done it with guys like Jalen Salmons had a had a nice little stretch with the Bucks and Bulls, and they're like, you know what, this is the guy that's gonna give us 15 points per game to get us over the hump. And, and Kevin Martin, same. Same same concept. Like they've had a bunch of guys, and and like little little fun players and decent teams that like are scrappy. And like you know what, maybe this is the year the Kings put a little bit more together. But they inevitably they they've never had a complete team. It's always been you have to overpay a little bit to get Sacramento involved in in all the talks. Because if you're gonna live in California and pay them taxes, you probably would rather live in Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, all right, guys. Um, let's wrap this up by. Getting just talking about one team that intrigues us for for some reason or or another, right? The, the Kings were not one of them. They just we had news breaking the pop. We have to talk about it. Um, Elkin, what is one team that intrigues you? Go ahead. Go ahead. I'm just gonna go for it. It feels like an obvious team, but Golden State Warriors sitting at four and two, top of the NBA, top of the West. Obviously, this is a team that. We saw them fighting for their playoff lives or to stay in the playoffs, competing in the, in the playing tournament, only to lose to Memphis eventually. But then they bounce back. They're doing their thing. One of the best shooting teams in the NBA. One of the best passing, well, the best passing team in the NBA. Of course, it helps out you guys when you have a guy named uh, Wardell Steph Curry, Stephen Curry on your team, who's averaging 29.5 points while shooting 42% from three-point land. And he's pretty much been MVP front runner, but just having small pieces along with them, and of course having a good running mate in Draymond Green, who's never going to give you all those stats that you want. Let's just say like they're going to pop out. But if if you watch any extended tape of the Warriors, anyone should know that he's the glue that makes that team go the way it is right now. As far as him knowing positioning of players, not just defensively but offensively, and what he does there, and then you got some nice little development from Jordan Poole. Andrew Wiggins is turned into a serviceable player. I've I've liked even what I've seen defensively from Mr. Wiggins this year. And overall, I think with this team right now was just sustainability. 
looking at the way that they're playing basketball and the way how successful they've been, I'm curious to see how sustainable this run is for them. And of course, Clay Thompson expected to be back sometime next calendar year. I'm looking at how sustainable is this because, and maybe you guys, I don't know, feel the same way or you're completely different. I'm, even though they're first right now, I still don't see this team coming out of the West. Like at the end of the year, when we're talking about, let's just say playoffs on each side are done, the conference uh, finals are done and we got the finals. I don't see this team representing the West still. I'm having, I'm having a hard time grasping that concept. I think that they need a counterpunch and I, as much as like I, I really enjoy watching the Warriors play because they move the ball so much and there's a lot of free flowing, you know, offensive stuff going on. I I do worry about you know some some big and specifically thinking about like you know Phoenix Suns as the, as they get their their season. You know they've they've righted the ship after like you know just a tiny you know five game little small sample size bad start. Um, I still got a team like with a guy like Anthony Davis or a, a, a team like the Suns having Chris Paul and DeAndre Ayton. And I look at a team like that with if they have a big who can really get after the offensive glass, it could really throw a wrench into what the Warriors want to do. Now, those guys have to perform on the defensive end. But I think in the same ways the Suns ran out of bigs against the Bucks last year and the onslaught that was Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think the Warriors could have a similar problem with some of the bigs in the West as well. And like that, that's my angst about like kind of penciling them in as like legitimate favorite because I think a guy like Anthony Davis, if the Lakers can figure out anything, they're they're a matchup. I I feel like the Warriors will, will have problems with if we're talking a fully engaged LeBron, a fully engaged Anthony Davis. But then again, Russell Westbrook plays for that team, so nothing's going to actually work. I, what's interesting here is that the Golden State Warriors are the only team to have an improved offensive rating compared to last year of any team in the NBA. Everyone, you know, we, we talk about how defensive rating is is you know uh, down or you know it's it's harder harder to score. The Warriors are the only team that is that have kind of bucked that trend this year. Uh, they were fifth last year defensively, and so like I think the defense is real. Like they're they're, they're first right now. Uh, I think that there is some sort there's something to that kind of institutional knowledge, and now you've got now you're bringing guys back like Iguodala, who uh, you know is you know a smart player can can fit into that system, and uh, you know Bielita, very very intelligent offensive player, and I I understand the hesitancy of kind of thinking about that, but at the same time I I think that the West, you know, kind of a coin flip. We'll have to see what it's like with the teams that are, you know, bringing someone back, uh, like the Nuggets and the Clippers, in theory, with, you know, Kawhi and Jamal Murray coming back, uh, hopefully, near, near the end of the season. But I don't think that there's necessarily a favorite out, out West. Like, I would take the field in any sort of, um, you know, bet for, for the Western Conference. Uh, but... What the, what the Warriors are doing right now is just incredibly impressive, and it just, I think just speaks to you know Steph's you know Steph's brilliance. Because hey, if perimeter defenders can can get up into you and do all that stuff, and, and Steph's still going off like he is, like that's you know it's pretty impressive. Now perhaps it's part of just a scheduling thing, right? Where maybe they just haven't played teams as you know as as good as others. I, I would have to look, but overall. I, I don't see why they couldn't. I just don't know if they necessarily. Um, uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if, if they're going to be able to 
necessarily keep this up and if they will be the, the team representing, but we'll we'll just I guess we'll just have to see when when it when it comes. Yeah, that's fair, that's fair. Ethan, your team. Well, I'm going to go with the uh, the secondary homer and be the Portland Trailblazers. And I've had a lot of interest and intrigue in this team this season. And the kind of thing I want to focus on here just a little bit is is lineup optimization. I'm looking at a, uh, a disturbing trend to some degree. Like there, here, here's the like here's I found the, I finally found the lineup that uh, CJ is like getting all of his like all of his stuff back on because it's it's a lineup that's played. Uh, the second most minutes on the team, even though only playing in eight games. And it was uh, McCollum, Snell, Nance Jr., Anthony Simons, and Nasir Little. And I'm going to attribute this to having um, a really low uh, defensive rating and a 101 in this time. time. But uh, the, the concept is I just want more. I just want more Robert Covington, Larry Nance men's in general. And those things don't happen at all. And we kind of joke about it just because it's it's – it doesn't make sense. It's happened in eight games total for 27 minutes. The Robert Covington, Larry Nance, Dame Lord, CJ McCollum, and Norm Powell lineup. And that's, I think, the team's best lineup. Um, it's only got a plus 10 uh, net rating. There's some other lineups, you know, but it's all small sample size that have are really killing it out there. I'm trying to see if there's any other um, Robert Covington and and Larry Nance lineups, if they've done it with any like lesser players around it. And I actually don't think they have. And the point being here is, though, if we're talking about two guys in Larry Nance and Robert Covington, they're, they're both their specialties I look at is help side defense from the, a non-traditional centered position. Um, Larry would be the more of the traditional center in, that, in this lineup, obviously. But those two guys are really good help defenders. Larry is a really good on-ball defender as well. And I think pairing those two together would really catapult like the potential of this Blazers defense to actually give you a chance to be a good defensive team with, you know, the guards who are very bad. Obviously they'd be really sick if they could just get McCollum out of there and, and get uh, Ben Simmons, because then you'd only have one bad defender that constantly plays. That would be Damian Lillard. Um, and at that point, I think the Blazers defense could really, you know, tighten up. Um, but in 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 the end of the day, um, I think the Blazers have a really nice looking rotation with with Norm Powell being a pretty versatile defender, Nurkic being a good drop big, Nance and Covington should be pretty good help defenders. Like I, I really do think they're the one piece way. And um, unfortunately, like when I look at these lineups, it looks like CJ McCollum is the the consistent trend line because while he's having a pretty efficient individual scoring season, the man does not help anyone else score. He does not create points. Um, that aren't coming from his right hand. And mm-hmm. so I I hate it, but the man does not know how to pass. He does not know how to run a pick and roll. He just knows how to dribble, dribble, and get to his own shot. And it would be nice to see him take a little bit more of the DeMar DeRozan development course, Where, but it's going to be hard for him to do that when he doesn't ever separate from a Kyle Lowry, which is what Dame is. DeMar DeRozan has always been an okay passer, been a low turnover player for his usage, but his facilitation – and like where people were like, wow, DeMar DeRozan's a really good passer, came when he went to San Antonio and was no longer playing with what I would say an elite point guard. Yeah, I with the with the Blazers. I mean, I know you you were able to get out and you know watch them and, and so I, I three games so far. I just yeah, I know that they're trying new things. Jonathan Billups is trying to you know get them to do different things defensively, and you know right there they're kind of in that middle of the pack where it's. From basically four to nine teams are kind of like within a game or two of each other, and I just I know Dame Dame struggled. He's had kind of that core injury, which he had like this off season, right? Like I'm pretty sure that was the thing when he was playing 
in you know the Olympics that he had yeah. kind of this abdominal injury and it's just he's not is it that same injury probably and just not recovered from it? Yeah, I think it's just a lingering issue with it. Like I'm I don't I'm not, I don't know all the details because like he's not a guy yeah. who really puts a lot of that stuff out there. Um, yeah. But yeah, he, it's the same it's the same thing that was giving him some trouble in the Olympics. Yes. Yeah. Um. I. It's you probably are hesitant to like move off of uh McCollum for maybe like a Dame potential injury. Like, you know, it's well, what if Dame has to sit a few games? Cause that injury is really bothering him that, well, what's, what's our offense? What's who's going to drive our offense now? At least you can kind of go to, to CJ in that regard. But I promise you CJ is not the guy for that. I don't know. That, I, don't know I don't know that they have one, but <laughs> he's not the one. So yeah, you know, who knows? Maybe it's, you know, the obvious let's, let's make a trade there, but, I I don't know how I feel about that. I feel like it's just going to end up being a similar ending for this team as as in, as in past years, you know. So it's stuff out here. I, again, I do like the guys you mentioned, right? Uh, the, the help defenders in, you know, Nance going there I thought was uh, a really helpful thing for them defensively. But, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. We'll have to see. Maybe Maybe they'll make a move. Yeah, well, and I just want everyone to remember that Yusuf Durkic and Robert Covington are both um, free agents after this season, as long as 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 well as Anthony Simons is a, a restricted free agent. So there's a there's a lot of moving pieces with this team. They have the capacity to make things continue as is. Um, they say they re-signed Norm Powell, Damon CJ are locked up for three plus years between the two of them. It really comes down to um, how focused are you on actually improving this roster versus um, going up or actually going down because either one is an option at this stage. It's kind of the point we're very close to being, well, Dame's good enough to keep us decent. Um, it's just tough to, to know what the, the next, where the next puzzle piece is coming from when uh, you got two guys who are a little duplicative in skill. One's clearly better and one, um, it's just too good to like give up for you know pennies on the dollar, so to speak. All right, I'll go ahead and get to my, to my team. Last team we'll talk about, Cleveland Cavaliers. This team is interesting to me because they had some initial success this season, just like they did last season, right? Last season they started out hot, and but we've reached the point where they've got some injury issues. Colin Sexton out for the year. In his last year of, you know, he's going to be a restricted free agent this offseason, and, uh, you know, I don't know what it looks like, you know, how much they're going to be willing to pay for him to stick around or, or to match. But he's done for the year. You've got Mobley out for a couple weeks. Uh, he's got an elbow issue, and, you know, you, you, you hate to see it, but, you know, you hopefully he comes back and he'll be fine. Just a couple week, couple week absence. You also are dealing with, and you hope Markinen's returning. He had, like, a health and safety protocols um, issue. So he's been gone for... For a bit of a stretch of time, um, hopefully he'll be back soon enough to kind of hold the fort down. But they're starting to get a little bit thin uh, roster-wise. And with being where they are in the standings, like we talked about how the West from Dallas at number four down to like the Lakers and you know Minnesota down at number 10, it's, it's all within like a game or two. That same thing can be said in the East where it's like the Knicks are like seven and nine and then all the way down to like Toronto – at eight and nine, that's like the, the twelfth team. Like everyone's super close there, and that's where Cleveland finds themselves. Nine and eight right now. 
And I I look at this team, and I know that they have aspirations of, of being good and making the playoffs or play in. But I, I think that we're going to start getting to the point where these teams, there's going to start to be more separation of, you know, teams that are going to go up and, and find themselves really being active and those that are going to fall off and trail off. And I wonder if Cleveland's going to be that team as they're encountering some of these injuries. You look at, you see Ricky Rubio's been playing really, really well. Like, he, what an awesome addition. What a, what a silly, silly thing for the uh, you know, Timberwolves to, to get rid of him for just just nothing. Just Torian Prince, nothing. I don't even know. Has Torian Prince played played minutes this year? Oh, of course know. he has. He just hasn't played any defensive minutes. There you go. He's just it's just been it's ugh. anyways, the it just it was it was an awful move at the time and super helpful for Cleveland. If they were to have been able to stay healthy, like I think I would have liked this team as like, "Hey, you you're you're well within the the play in mix, but with Sexton going down and uh you're you got issues where your forward line has, you know, out for a couple weeks back." I, I just I worry about this roster. Like, are we gonna see Garland and um, Rubio minutes, which you know Rubio's been playing well enough, and Garland's been playing well is also you know maybe you can do that, but yeah, I I just it it seems like maybe you're gonna get more Okoro, but he's been playing enough already. I don't know. It just I I wonder where the minutes are gonna start coming from, and I think that you're gonna start having this team begin to fall off. And if they do, you know, they're going to be, you know, in the lottery. They're going to have a decision to make with Colin Sexton. And, yeah, you've got your guy, Evan Mobley, who's been awesome. But I, I just wonder what's going to happen with this team directionally if if that's the way that it that it goes. Yeah, you got your guy in Evan Mobley. You got a piece in Jared Allen. And I think you got one of the guys in, in Darius Garland, just based on the, the way I'm feeling about him the more I watch him. Um I, I think the the Cavs would be really wise to find like find a team that I mean the thing is there's so many guards in this league that you can kind of scheme into whatever position you need you need out of them right like you can find a guy who's just pretty good at scoring and he can he can like think about what Lou Williams and Jamal Crawford did for a really long time the, the guys who terrible defenders that just went out and gave the teams like relatively efficient buckets right people people can finesse that if if the Cavs can facilitate you know, a little, a little nice sign and trade somehow with a Colin Sexton to a team that doesn't have the cap space to just get him outright, but it was really interested in him and just try to bring back someone of some, of a little bit of size. Like I'm talking about like, you know, like, like a bigger guard. He doesn't have to be a wing, but just a bigger guard to like just help with the, the, the off the bus aesthetic of having some people with different sizes. Um, because I think, I think Colin Sexton's a good player. I, I think I, I've been shocked that his three point percentage uh, was so bad this year uh, in the minutes he did play. But the important thing is to, you know, try to not lose him for nothing. But I, I personally would be very much for the Cavs swapping out to get something different because I just look at it. I know, I, I think I know what Darius Garland is right now. And if he doesn't get any better, it's going to be okay. And whereas Colin, so that makes it where if you're not sure how Colin Sexton is going to do, if he's just kind of, kind of finally not shooting the three ball as well as he had been, you know, if you guys are, your guys' draft analysis is finally coming true that he can't shoot. <laughs> I mean, sell now, right? Don't get locked in a four year contract that you're, you're, you're lost. You're, you're, you know, you don't, you don't want that if it's not going to be good. I'm concerned. 
because I'm very concerned. Well, no, I'm concerned for a different reason because I I feel like by this time next year, I'm gonna have Marvin Bagley and Colin Sexton on the Detroit Pistons, and I don't know how I feel about it. It's gonna be great. Hey, I think Colin Sexton could be a good pairing with uh, Cade Cunningham. Because like, 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 you, you just give, it, give him the ball yeah. when it's time to shoot. <laughs> yeah, it's it. like, and then when it's time to defend, Killian goes. You know, it's like that. That's um, we have money this off season, and so no, just don't I don't spend know too much. <laughs> I know. It's like, I don't know who we're spending it on, and so I, I get a little bit nervous. And so that's why I'm concerned. I'm concerned that Batley's going to be on my team by the time the trade deadline rolls around. Um, like the Pistons. Like I'm just waiting for the Trey Lyles. Uh, Etc. For um, Marvin Bagley trade, or or the jo- or better yet, Josh Jackson for um uh, for Bagley to to give you uh, know them a wing sized player like it's that's gonna yes. happen. Let's by, do that right. De- well, I can't because December fifteen is. Okay. I, th- I think you have to wait till then. There you go. Um, to, to to make the money work, but it's uh, it's gonna happen, and I'm not gonna be happy about it, and I'm gonna have to root for them. And it, the moment that I have to root for Bagley. On my team. It'll be a glorious be day. Sad. It'll be a glorious day. It'll be the Bagley resertion in Detroit. That's what's going to happen. He's going to come out and average 20 and 10 for you guys, Richard. I don't believe that. I believe it. I'm going to speak in it into truth.